From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals podcast. Jeff Bookbinder here, back in the host chair for this week. Uh, thank you to Mark and Quincy for filling in. Last week, uh, I am pleased to be joined by our chief technical strategist, Adam Turnquist. Back from the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, Adam, did you overeat like I did? How was your holiday? It was good. Thanks. I definitely did a little overeating. We finished up the leftovers last night. I just kind of threw everything in the microwave and went at it. So I was a little little tired last night, but we got through everything. So it's a good holiday. You know, I, I actually find that sometimes the leftovers take, taste better than they do the first time around. So uh, especially with with turkey. So I'm I'm with you there. Uh, I'm sure you've all heard this strategy, but the key is the elastic pants. That is definitely uh, the key. So um, it is uh, November 27th, 2023, as we're recording this on Monday afternoon. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining. Let's um, first show you these disclosures, and then we'll get to the agenda. Here's what we're going to talk about this week. Um, you'll have a, of course, technical slant to the whole uh, presentation here because uh, Adam's with us. So we'll first talk about the four-week win streak for the S&P 500. Uh, actually, the NASDAQ has a four-week win streak as well. So another good week for stocks last week. So we'll tell you about that. Uh, next, some key technical charts to watch. Uh, the um, S&P, of course, uh, but we'll throw in the 10-year, throw in the dollar, some seasonality. Uh, next, the um, uh, a lot of people are talking about gold right now. So we're going to try to answer the question, will gold continue to shine? Our bias is maybe yes, um, although it's certainly not clear cut. A lot of different drivers of gold prices still uh, based on technicals, as Adam will tell us, they look pretty good. Uh, the precious metals broadly. And then um, lastly, we'll preview the week ahead. This is a really interesting week. It's kind of a catch up week after so much data um, two weeks ago. Then last week, we got virtually nothing. And now um, I guess you could say it's payback because now we have a very busy week yet again. So uh, let's get to it. Uh, Four-week win streak for uh, the stock market. You know, if you add those four weeks together, um, you know, you're up over 10%. This has been a really uh, powerful rally. Um, maybe the first question after this 1% gain last week to ask Adam is, um, you know, are we are we overbought? Have we gone uh, maybe too far too fast? Do you think this is a week where we might digest those gains a bit? I don't think so. When we look at some of the internals of the market, certainly you can make the argument we're a little overbought. But typically when you see these breakouts, especially with the S&P gapping above a major area of resistance, they typically run a little hot. So I think there's more scope for upside in terms of really hitting those overbought extremes. Haven't really seen those quite yet. Yeah, I actually, I saw a study from Bespoke. This week is on average a little bit worse than your typical week if you go back to World War II. But if you just look at the last 20 years, this week is actually a little bit better uh, than the average week. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, maybe we will just continue to drift higher here. Uh, the um, you know it's hard to point to a catalyst. Last week's one of those times where so many people are out, light trading, light calendar. That um, I, I don't really like to pull pull out trends, um, but you know maybe we did have a little bit of um, you know jittery 
bond investors because we had that 20-year auction, the 20-year treasury auction that didn't go great. Um, and there's, you know, the Fed minutes reminded us that the Fed is probably going to stay higher for longer. Market probably is pricing in too many rate cuts at this point in 2024. So there was a little bit of, I don't know, choppiness around that uh, narrative. But otherwise, um, I mean, earnings continue to be pretty good. Holiday shopping looks pretty good. Um, it, it was just kind of a, you know, steady march higher path of least resistance. Uh, anything you'd add to that last week in terms of last week's drivers, Adam? I think the other theme is just volatility, implied volatility starting to come out or continuing to come out of the market. If you look at where the VIX closed last week, it was 1246. That's wow. the lowest since January of 2020. Certainly an outlier in terms of closing prices. When you think long term, the average VIX close is about 19.6. So more evidence that we've really shifted from last year's high volatility regime to this year's low volatility regime. But then you can make the argument, of course, it really has nowhere to go but up in terms of expectations for volatility. But I think for now, there's some complacency with what the Fed is doing in the direction of their rate cuts or rate hikes. You know, maybe where there's a complacency with this pause theme that's that's developed over the last month, especially. And I think that's helping bring volatility out of the market. A couple other quick themes, small caps uh, lagging last week. That's been a reoccurring theme week over week and why we continue to like large cap over small cap. They've made a little bit of a comeback over the last month, but I would be a little cautious to call that leadership. And then just on the sector, in, in terms of U.S. equity sectors, another one that's sticking out has just been energy. A little bit of a disappointment there, obviously following crude oil lower over the last several weeks. I think this week's OPEC plus meeting, I think that's on Thursday, will be closely watched. Maybe we'll get potential uh, cuts coming out of OPEC plus, at least unexpected cuts that could prop up crude oil. So something to watch for the week ahead. Yeah, our, is energy is probably oversold by this point, or at least getting getting close, I would think, Adam. Do you, do you think um, you know that sector is due for a turnaround here, uh, potentially this week? I do. I think in terms of timing, it, it couldn't be any better as we go into December. Seasonals look a lot better when you look at crude oil between you know December through spring coming off the shoulder season. So that starts to pick up. Obviously, the sector should follow that. And when you look at the internals of the sector in terms of how much technical damage has been caused on a longer term basis, you know, stocks have sold off. And they're oversold, but they haven't really violated major uptrends. The majority of the sector is still holding up above their 200-day moving average. So consider it a healthy pullback for now. We'll be looking for a bounce in the energy sector over the coming month. Yeah, energy is still a sector we like. Um, I mean, it's you know we viewed it as a hedge to some extent when we upgraded it. Um, well, I don't know exactly what month that was, but it was several months ago. You know, it's a hedge against certainly, um, you know, an escalating war in the Middle East. Of course, that war for now has, and we hope it continues to be contained uh, and, and not spill over into Iran. So that, you know, Israel, uh, Gaza has not impacted energy production. Uh, and so what you've seen is, um, you know, I think the losses from the energy sector, at least some of them, have gone to gains in the consumer discretionary sector. Right, because what do you have when you have lower prices at the pump, and cheaper prices to um, you know to heat our homes? You have more money in consumers' pockets. So 
we think about it that way too, energy a little bit of a hedge. And so its weakness is actually helping other areas of the market. Uh, something else that um, happened last week that I think was helpful for markets is the dollar. We, we'll show a chart of that here in a little bit, Adam, but dollar was down about a half a percent. And um, that is certainly supportive of gold as well as international equities. So we saw some pretty decent returns out of international equities in general uh, last week. So I wanted to throw that out there as well. Uh, can, moving forward, um, the bond market didn't do a whole lot last week. We had, um, well, here you see the Bloomberg aggregate bond index down 0.1%. So just, again, a little bit of an uptick in rates last week, a little bit of anxiety around Fed minutes, a little bit of anxiety around the um, the Treasury auctions, which were mixed overall, disappointing 30-year auction, uh, a little bit disappointing 20-year in particular. And so that put that's keeping kind of a floor under rates. Um, we're about 440 as we record this. And, um, you know, still the bias is probably lower in the very short term, but um, that won't be a falling knife, uh, I don't think, based on what we're seeing uh, from the economic data and from the Fed. So um, that's that. Anything on the anything else on the commodity side you want to add here? Adam, kind of mixed. I mean, the dollar. Yeah, I would say, say mixed. Uh, precious metals, obviously. We're going to talk a little bit about gold there. So that's been an interesting space over the last month. You can see up 2.3% for the precious metals index. Big driver of that, of course, has been what's happening in gold. But I think you can't overlook what's happening in the industrial sector as well, especially when you apply it to the, the broader market and the, and the global market, the implications there. You have copper finally catching a bid off some key support levels over the last week, starting to challenge its 200-day moving average. So we're watching that technically for copper. And then iron ore had a big breakout uh, over the last week or two. That's another one we're watching. Of course, China is a, a big importer of iron ore. So we'll see if we get continuation of that breakout over the next, call it, couple months here. But a, a pretty big technical development there in some of those uh, industrial metals. Yeah, the news out of China has been a little bit on the negative side lately. So, um, you know, it's tough for industrial metals to make much progress when, um, you know, pe people are concerned about China's growth, right? We have a, a you know, a probe into um, a shadow banking organization in, in, in China. We have a little bit soft industrial profits that reported overnight. So, um, yeah, it's probably... Maybe mixed, mixed to slightly negative tone for um, Chinese growth, which which may slow some of these metals down. So um, let's let's turn to your um, key technical charts, Adam. I think well, you you waited a little bit on the um, on the S and P. I mean, after boy nine percent gain in November, it's one of the strongest Novembers you'll you'll ever see, even if that's where it ends. Um, Still not, you know, dramatically overbought here. I guess that's probably fair to say. Um, and we've seen a little bit better breadth measures, haven't we, lately? Yeah, I think that's been one of the keys to calling this really the, you know, the change in the narrative from a correction to a comeback. It's really being a sustainable recovery here. And you can see how big of a uh, move we've made in the S&P 500 coming off those lows. We've gapped above 4,400. That was a key resistance level that reversed a downtrend off the July 31 high. 
And now we're getting very close to retesting the that same high at 4,600. So that's going to be a key level to watch this week. If we do get a, a retest, um, looking for a weekly close above that 4,600 level, that would really open the door for a potential retest of the prior all-time highs going back to, to January, early January of 2022. So getting to a very important technical level for the S&P 500, Initially, when we gapped above that 4,400 level, there was less than half of the S&P 500 above their 200-day moving average. That's that middle panel, um, a, a gauge that we like to look at in terms of market breadth, just how many stocks are above their key moving averages. And it was really the Magnificent Seven, of course, driving that move higher. But over the last couple of weeks, we've seen breadth broaden out. I think that suggests this is a healthy recovery as other sectors are participating, especially financials. That's one that hasn't participated in this bull market. So I think that's another constructive sign for broader equity space. And then on the bottom panel, we're getting confirmation in momentum as well. This is the directional movement index or DMI index that I like to use measures the strength and direction of price action. And you can see when the green line crosses above the red line, that's a bullish signal of a trend change. We got that right around the breakout and that reversal point. So we're getting broadening participation, confirming momentum, and clearing several key areas of overhead resistance. So I think you can, as we uh, have been saying, you can call this one a comeback here for the S&P 500. Oh yeah, it sure has. Things look a lot different than they did a month ago. Uh, that's for sure. That's been quite quite a bounce off of that um, October low and you know, provides more evidence that October is the month where bear markets go to die. Been saying that for many, many years. So um, following the, the playbook there, no doubt. So, um, so, you know, technically we could keep going a little higher. We're obviously in a good seasonal, seasonal period, Adam, and that's what this chart uh, tells you. In fact, um, you know, I think this is the best two-month period on the calendar, November, December, right? And um, I guess the point you're making with this cool chart is that, uh, you know, if you have a good November, you're more likely to have a good December. Is that right? Yeah, 76% of the time, actually, if we're putting stats around it. And you can see all yeah. of those bubbles um, in the top right quadrant of this chart basically suggesting, um, you know, when you're positive in November, so you're right on, on the right side of that 0% on the y-axis, you typically have a positive December. And again, that's 76% of the time going back to 1950. When you're positive in November, the average return for December is 1.7%. So it suggests that momentum typically continues into year end. So something um, we'll certainly be watching here, but I think a good sign, again, you have the price action moving in the right direction, seasonals lining up with that as well, suggesting maybe we could get some more upside here. But the size of those bubbles also wanted to highlight that. That's based on the average or the, the annual return for each year. And you can see a lot of positive Novembers are associated with um, the larger bubbles, meaning larger annual returns as well, something that we're also seeing this year with the S&P 500. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'm sure if you look at just Novembers that are up maybe more than 5%, you probably get an even stronger result. Uh, you know, momentum begets momentum. So, uh, yeah, we could drift a little bit higher uh, from here, uh, but also want to point out that valuations are getting rich. Right. And so, um, you know, this move has taken PEs from on a forward for quarter basis 
from low 14s to mid, I'm sorry, low 18s to mid 19s. You know, that's an area that, you know, as you approach 20, it gets, you know, gets us a little uncomfortable. Uh, that doesn't mean we have to have a correction again. We just had one. Um, it just means that it's probably going to be a more of a grind. And you're probably going to need more help from earnings uh, to get the stock market much higher than it is now. Now, the caveat to that is you could get help from rates, too. So if we have a soft landing and rates come down as inflations come down, that 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 actually can help uh, valuations and support maybe a PE as high as as twenty. Uh, we'll we'll have to see, but uh, just want to point that out that it's it's probably going to be uh, more slow going if 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 rates stay where they are and the earnings trajectory uh, doesn't meaningfully change. So uh, speaking of the the bond market and yields um you know key part of stock valuations certainly um i guess the um the key number you've been highlighting adam is 435 is that is that still an important number to watch or um has a move to 440 changed something uh technically which which is where we were uh last i checked if you're going to put a number on it i think you got to go with 435 and that goes back to the October 2022 highs. That's also a key retracement level of the move from call it April lows to the October highs. So there's a confluence of support that we need to get through on the 10 year to really break that. That would suggest the 10 years, not necessarily in a confirmed downtrend, but more in a consolidation range. Although we are getting some other shorter term signals here on the technical formations, you can see the 10 year making what we call a head and shoulders top formation. You have a, a left shoulder ahead and then the right shoulder. And now today we're near that neckline uh, break below 442 would actually violate that neckline and set you up for a likely retest to that 435 level that we're talking about. So some interesting spots here for the 10 year, especially going into this week with where it's trading at this morning or this afternoon, momentum has been fading. That's another thing we've been watching, the RSI indicator, the relative strength index on that bottom panel. You can see it's been making lower highs over the last several weeks as yields are making higher highs. So we call that a bearish divergence. Often, but not always, you'll see these divergences form at major tops. So at least a potential signal there for momentum as well that we're the 5% that we witnessed back in October could have been the high for the 10-year, but again, waiting for a break below 435 to really make that call. Not far away, not far away. Though you, you probably want to hold below it for you know, two or three days, right, to really confirm the, the breakdown. But th this would be a major development because if you can get down closer to four, um, you know, without severe economic damage <laughs> to get us there, right, just kind of a steady, slow growth economy, uh, and get us down there declaring victory essentially on inflation, um, you can get a PE of 20. Uh, that that will certainly encourage uh, risk-taking across the equity market and the bond market. It's been a while since we've been you know, below four. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but uh, based on this chart setup, certainly a possibility that we, um, uh, that we move meaningfully lower if we do execute that breakdown. Yeah, I think you nailed it too in terms of the rationale as to why we're moving lower. Is it a is it a victory on inflation or are we pricing in a recession? That's going to be another factor behind that. How the equities uh, equity markets respond to that? We won't hear the Fed declare victory, right? Just like 
the old market adage, they don't ring a bell at the top, <laughs> right? The Fed's not going to tell us exactly uh, what they're going to do. But uh, the market, I think, is is moving closer to actually making that uh, uh, that uh, declaration. So um, although you've priced a lot of that in with, you know, stocks up 20 percent this year. So um, let's turn to the dollar. So this is a I don't know, maybe a, a little bit of an underrated risk barometer. People talk about it as a. Um, you know, as a barometer for. Uh, embracing risk and financial conditions, right? So the Fed's worried about uh, maybe financial conditions getting too loose, but the dollar is only what three percent off of its highs, and it's certainly up from where it was a few months ago. So, uh, uh, you know, high level. I, you know, this this is good news, I would say, and and I think the Fed is probably going to continue to. They'll they'll talk tough, but we we think they're done. We think the we've seen the last hike. And, um, you know, we'll probably get the start of a cutting cycle in the middle of next year, maybe a little later, depending on how well the economy does. Uh, but, um, you know, that would point to, well, actually, you could go both ways on this, Adam. You could say, because the Fed is about to start cutting, the dollar should go down, right? But if the market is too aggressive in pricing in cuts, then, you know, that may mean the dollar could get support as some of those cuts are are unwound. So, um, you know, maybe th th this has always been tough to call. I've always had an easier time calling the stock market or the bond market than the dollar. But what do you see when you when you look at the charts, just straight technicals? Yeah, a, a few things. It's I think no coincidence the dollar lows of this year were set at the same time equity markets peaked on July 31st. So as you mentioned, it's kind of an underrated chart. And you can see we've had a significant rally off those July lows. Wouldn't quite call it parabolic, but that uptrend that's formed off those lows actually was violated over the last month. And we're starting to roll over here on the greenback, getting back below the 200-day moving average. We're seeing some bearish crossovers between those moving averages as well. So we could see downside in the dollar back to just above 100. That goes back to the February and I think the um, April lows on the U.S. dollar index here. So I think there's some shorter term downside risk for the dollar. Of course, equity markets historically be, welcome that message. They're negatively correlated to the dollar. One area that's probably not welcoming a weaker dollar is just leveraged funds. These are typically your hedge funds positioned um, in a speculative position in the market. And you can see they've been decisively long the dollar based on commodity futures data, and you can see how much uh, that bottom panel, just the transition and, and the breakout, this kind of failed breakout in the dollar, um, those leverage funds loaded up. And now there's certainly the risk that they start to unwind those positions and accelerate any downside in the dollar. But I, I think for now, maybe we'll be range bound in the dollar. Just going back to your point about maybe there's too much um, complacency with some of the where the Fed cuts are coming in for next year. Those have been moved around and certainly moved the dollar as well as we kind of reprice and move those ahead on the calendar or back on the calendar could be major factors on the dollar. And of course, let's not forget about the ECB and the euro. That's about a 58% weighting within the dollar index. That's another wild card for the dollar as well. Yeah, that's right. The, the ECB is probably done. So, um, the relative expectations for cuts for the ECB versus the Fed will probably be a big piece 
of the story here for um, for the dollar index. So certainly have to keep watching that. You know, capital um, goes or the dollar or both go where they're treated best, right? And so if the U.S. economy outperforms the rest of the world and continues to get sort of a safe haven premium, then it's going to be tough for the dollar to move much lower. So that's um, something else to, to keep in mind, even though we do have a negative bias. So um, negative bias on the dollar means we probably got to like precious metals to some extent here, Adam. So uh, I teed it up for you. Will gold keep shining? What What's the uh, technical setup look like here? The technical setup right now, gold is improving, but I think all the gold bugs out there need to keep the champagne on ice because there's still more resistance to clear before you really can say we've broken out in gold. The level that we're watching is going to be right around 2070. That goes back to the 2020 highs, the 2022 highs. We got very close to retesting that level earlier this year. So that's going to be the line in the sand to declare a major breakout for gold. So I think you really need to wait for that breakout. Of course, momentum is moving in the right direction. You can see we've included that DMI indicator on the bottom panel, recently got a buy signal in that. So we're getting confirmation of momentum in terms of a bullish bias there. And then I thought it was interesting just to look at overall positioning in the market. This is managed gold futures. Again, these are those speculator hedge fund type positioning. And they've been long gold pretty much all year. However, when you look at this data, you usually want to use it more as a contrarian signal when it hits extremes. And we're nowhere near extreme levels in positioning. So I think there's more scope for upside in terms of chasing this gold trade. And I think it's going to be a big test if we get back to that 2070 level, what some of those positions do if they're adding or selling. Um, you can see previous attempts, it was more of a, a sell signal as we got to more of an extreme in the positioning. But certainly the technical setup is improving, but again, really need to wait for that breakout point. Yeah, so the dollar is a key here. Um, also gold's interest rate sensitive, right? Because you, know, you have an opportunity co cost of gold since it doesn't pay a dividend or generate interest. Um, and rates, of course, have been coming down a little bit, so that's that's somewhat helpful. So that's another uh, variable to watch. And the last thing is geopolitical risk, right? This is why gold's tough to call because it has several different drivers, and you never know which one's going to, you know, move the needle at any given time. So, uh, you know, you throw all that together, you know, maybe we're sort of neutral with a positive bias here. Um, but uh, I'll tell you, gold's getting a lot of attention. I'm hearing a lot of market strategists and pundits. Uh, talking about this and highlighting the breakout here, uh, not just today, but but late last week too. I was taking vacation, but I was still following the news. Um, so how about central banks? How big of a deal is this, Adam? I know, you know, everybody was worried about the collapse of the dollar a while back. Remember that story, um, which is kind of ridiculous, but uh, clearly uh, central bank diversification away from the dollar has been happening, but um, it hasn't really affected the the, the dollar index uh, all that much. How big of a factor is that for the gold market? I think it's certainly supporting the gold market. I don't know if I'd call it a floor in the gold market, but you can see based on data from the World Gold Council, how much central bank buying as a part, as a percentage of aggregate demand has changed over the last several years. And what this shows on the, the dark blue is just the overall aggregate demand quarter by quarter. Um, and you can see the, the bright blue is how much central bank buying there's been. 
And you can see how that's increased. So that bright blue bar is, is starting to, to grow a little bit. So they, for example, uh, last quarter, central banks bought 33% of the total aggregate um, gold demand or representing 33% of the, the overall demand for the quarter. Um, but overall demand, you can see it's picking up. It's not just a central bank story. We had record levels for the first nine months of this year, according to the World Gold Council. So there's some tailwinds there as well. Not It's not simply just hedge funds buying gold or speculators buying gold. Um, it, the central banks are going after it as well. And of course, they're diversifying away from the dollar. That's part of the story, but by no means <laughs> is there is it going to be every central bank just owning gold and not the dollar as well? So um, some other themes that we're seeing behind the scenes of just the dollar being lower and gold being higher. Yeah, the the, the dollar still dominates global transactions. Uh, it's it's uh, it's not really losing uh, any any market share uh, globally to other currencies. Um, so last last chart on gold Adam is is seasonality. I was a little surprised to see this, to be honest. Because um, you know you don't think of stocks and gold being correlated, but yet the seasonals seem to be uh, fairly correlated here with a strong December. Yeah, it's going to be the best two-month period for gold with December and January. You can see average returns in December up 1.4%, January up 1.9%. So some pretty good seasonal tailwinds for gold. Suggesting maybe we'll get back, retest that 2070 level for gold, or potentially even break out above that level. Very good. Um, so let's move on to preview of the week. Um, like I said, this is a really busy week, but I think that there's one data point that really stands out, Adam, which is the, the core PCE deflator, the Fed's preferred inflation measure. We know we had um, the better than expected CPI, which drove rates lower and stocks higher. It's probably hard to expect a repeat of that when you get this second inflation reading. But, um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, there's a little bit of risk of a lower number. That would be an upside risk. A little bit of a risk of a lower number based on what I've seen, you know, what I'm hearing from Jeff Roach and what I'm seeing from other economists uh, out there. Remember, we had the big move down in energy prices in October. And that does have some spillover effects. And then we continue to see uh, evidence of lower rents, right? Which was, you know, I think better than expected. Uh, rent inflation numbers were part of the surprise of the CPI last month. So, so Adam, what any comments on the PCE um, or any other data points that are highlighted here that you want to comment on? I think it's going to be all about PCE, as you suggested, and it does cap off the month of November as well. So I think two things when I think of PCE this week, one, a cooler number, obviously going to be a, a positive, I think, for stocks on the surface. But you have to think, well, I think it would also kind of put the nail in the coffin on any type of uh, forecasting for a, another rate hike. But two, I think you have to think about where the market is in terms of expectations for rate cuts. And that's probably what I'll be watching close, the, the most close in, in terms of a reaction, just to see how much they move. We've moved a lot in terms of pricing and a potential rate cut as early as March. Now, is that too optimistic? 
we'll see if, you know, I think a lower number and those rate cut expectations don't move. I don't know how the market will react to that. Maybe some of the, the good news is priced in already. That, that's definitely a potential just given where and where rate cut expectations have moved and just how quickly they've moved over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's hard to find somebody that expects another hike. And it's also hard to find somebody who does not think we'll see cuts by next summer. So uh, those are clearly uh, embedded in, in market expectations. The um, I mean, these other numbers matter. Uh, the housing market continues to hold up pretty well, considering you've got 8% mortgage rates, although actually they've dipped under 8 uh, with the move down in rates. So, um, you know, so that's pretty good news. I guess we've had a little bit of a stubbornness to the inflation expectations in some of these consumer surveys, particularly the University of Michigan. So we'll see what we get from consumer conference uh, on consumer confidence in the conference board data uh, this week. And then the ISM manufacturing data doesn't matter as much as ISM services, just based on the structure of the U.S. economy. I think much more services oriented, uh, but it will be good to see a little bit of a bump up in uh, in the ISM on Friday. Now, even though it's the first Friday of December, they pushed the jobs report back to the 8th. So we'll talk about that on our podcast next week. Uh, and then last thing here, actually two last things. We got uh, we have the OPEC meeting, OPEC Plus on Thursday. You mentioned that, Adam. So that could help turn around um, the oil markets. We'll be watching that closely. Uh, and then um, we also get a few more earnings. By the way, earnings growth is now 10% excluding the energy sector. S&P 500 earnings X energy up 10 over 10% in uh, Q3 based on FactSet data. That's really impressive. Uh, so we get a few more uh, earnings reports. We get um, several in tech, Salesforce and Dell, uh, I believe. I think there's another one. But um, yeah, we're pretty much done. So the, the overall numbers aren't going to move. But uh, generally speaking, uh, the, the trend of pretty good results has continued over the last uh, couple of weeks, as we've mostly done retail and tech. So um, that's all I got. So with that, I'll go ahead and wrap up. Uh, Adam, you probably got to head, uh, head over to your Vikings tailgates. So uh, <laughs> good luck to your uh, football team. Hopefully we can make it two for two because my football team won uh, yesterday. Uh, Can't be too bad with the Bears, but... Vikings on Monday nights, not something I'd bet on. <laughs> yes, that Kirk Cousins has that reputation for not winning the big games on on prime time. Although I know he's hurt, but uh, we'll we'll see if that that trend continues uh, there. Certainly, a lot of good football uh, over the last uh, few days to watch. In addition to our celebration of food, so um, I'll close with just by uh, saying that everybody, we hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday with friends and family. We wish you all uh, good health and happiness as we enter the holiday season. Although some people I think have been celebrating the holiday season since October, but this is really the heart of it. <laughs> so uh, enjoy everybody. Have a good week. Thank you, Adam, for walking through those charts with us. Appreciate all of you listening to LPL Market Signals. We will see you next week.
This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.